You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcast series are based on 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. I'm so glad to have you today. I'm believing God that you're going to be blessed. Tag a friend, let them know that we're alive. And you can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And I want you to do, I want you to do two things for me. I have my iPad here and you have been doing an amazing job of giving me your comments and your questions. And, and at the end of the uh, podcast teaching, I will read your comments or answer your questions to the very best of my ability. So that's what I want you to do first. Please send your questions or your comments in. It helps us to fill in the gap. It also helps me to know what you're getting from the lesson. And then secondly, I want you to share what you're learning. Share it. Get it out. Let's get the word out. There's so many people need to hear uh, the word. Now, I've been teaching from a subject entitled Down for the Count. The theme is on the subject of pride. This is our third and final lesson. I just wanted to touch bases on these lessons. We started out talking about humility. We're teaching on pride. We'll conclude that the the theme uh, down for the count uh, is on pride. Now, down for the count is a phrase or a metaphorical reference to the sport of boxing is when a boxer gets knocked down with a punch and is unable to get up before the referee counts to 10. That person, that person knocked down that is unable to get up is considered down for the count. Pride knocks people out. And that's what we want to uh, keep from happening to you. Pride will knock you out and keep you from getting up. I received a prophetic word, and, and, and I'm, I want to develop it later, but I received a pr- prophetic word from the Lord, and the Lord said this to me some time ago. He said that uh, the next move of God will be in the area of character. The next move of God will be in the area of character. So when we talk, our teaching on humility is character-based. Our teaching on pride has to do with character. Now, in lesson one, all we wanted to do is get on the same page. We want to talk about uh, what is pride, and we talked about how God looks at or views pride. That's mainly what we wanted to do in that lesson. In lesson two, our last session out, we talked about pride and leadership. I wanted to talk about three things, but I really covered what the Spirit of God wanted me to cover. He instructed me to prepare the lessons, but be led by the Spirit. So we talked about pride and leadership pride and leadership and spent the whole session talking about pride and leadership. Basically, what I was going to say about pride and relationships is that many relationships, whether they be marital relationships, parent-child relationships, whether it be uh, friendships, dating relationships, many relationships have been broken, dissolved, ended because of pride. A refusal to work through issues, a refusal to apologize, a decision to not speak to each other, not iron out misunderstandings, and much of the time is rooted in pride. 
Acts chapter 13, for example, God instructed and called forth a ministry team of Paul and Barnabas. He put them together. The Bible says they were sent forth by the Holy Spirit. They went out and did some great things. And then Paul said, listen, we need to go back and check on everyone. But Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, his nephew, and they disagreed on this issue of whether we're going to take John Mark with us. This is a relationship, a ministry team that God put together. And the the conflict or the disagreement was so sharp that they separated from each other. And as far as we know, they never became a team again, even though God put them together. Acts 13, Acts 15, you see that story. And that's true in many instances. Relationships have been broken because of pride, a refusal to apologize, a refusal to accept an apology, a refusal to just talk to each other. But I also wanted to briefly talk about pride in the church, pride in the body of Christ. It goes all the way, and I'm just reviewing now, it goes all the way back to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples, and on several occasions, these disciples were arguing, debating who would be the greatest, who are the greatest, who would be the greatest. That whole debate was centered on pride. In Luke chapter 9, John uh, came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we told him to stop because... He was not in our group. That whole thing, mindset, was rooted in pride. Then we see pride in the early church, at, and particularly the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it, uh, Paul talked about the divisions that were in the church around spiritual leaders. Some of the, some of the people said, well, I'm following Paul, and others says, I'm following Apollos, and others says, I'm following Peter. So there was a lot of jealousy and contention and comparison, and we see the same thing in the body of Christ today. So many in the church are jealous, competing, uh, comparing pastors or ministers to each other and debating who's the greatest. All these things are rooted in pride. So today, in this final lesson, I want to talk about overcoming pride. Let's, let's get down in this thing. Overcoming pride. We've defined it. We've looked at what God thought about it. We've looked at other issues with the area of pride. How do I overcome it? Is there anyone in Scripture who overcame it? Are there any keys to overcoming pride? You want to kill pride before it knocks you out. Pride will knock you out. And so you want to kill pride before pride knocks you out. Before we get into the how-tos, let's talk about a man in Scripture who was victimized by pride, but later on, overcame pride. I want to talk specifically about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. The text that I'm going to read to you is Daniel chapter 4, and you can make note of this, Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 33. Daniel 4, 28 through 33, and then add verse 34, verse 36, and verse 37. That's Daniel chapter 4, verse 28 through verse 33, verse 34 
of Daniel 4 and verses 36 through 37 of Daniel 4. So I want you to listen to this because God was dealing with Nebuchadnezzar about his pride. And uh, he even gave him a dream. So later after the dream, he had, this is the context, after he had this dream from God. Listen to what it says. But all these things that happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, now listen, he's talking to himself, but he said this, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city and my royal palace, my royal residence to display my majesty and my splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice came down from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler over this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and guide them to anyone or give them to anyone he chooses. Now watch this. This is after. Now he's walking on top of his palace roof. He looks out the city and he starts talking about how majestic the city was that he built. I built this city. It's my glory and my splendor. And I built this beautiful residence. And so he's just glorifying himself. And a voice came from heaven and say, you're no longer going to be king over this kingdom. You're going to be driven uh, into the wilderness and you're going to live like an animal in the wilderness. You're going to eat grass like a cow. And the amazing thing about it, he immediately lost his mind. And I'm not talking uh, symbolically. He literally went insane. He was so insane that he could not run the kingdom and they actually, he went what we would call crazy. Literally, from a mental standpoint, he lost his mind. So he was driven out. People put him out in the field and he lived in the field like a wild animal and he ate grass, the scripture says in the New Living Translation, that he ate grass like a cow. Now watch this. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looking up to heaven. Now remember, initially he was looking across, looking at everything that he felt that he had created. Now, after having lived out in the field, after losing his mind, after eating grass like a cow, listen at this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and he says, my sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. When my sanity returned, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praises and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true. He is able to humble the proud. Wow, this is powerful. 
I don't know if you ever read this. This is in Daniel chapter 4. It is just a powerful. This guy, this king, was victimized by pride. He lost his kingdom because before destruction, there's pride. A haughty spirit going to bring a fall. So he got over into pride, looked at the kingdom, and thought he was the source of it. It was his ingenuity, his wisdom, his leadership, his greatness, and he lost his mind. He lost everything. But then the scripture says, after time passed, he looked up to heaven and his sanity was restored. His kingdom was restored, and he said, I had greater honor than I ever had before that time. And notice what he says, I praise and I glorified and I honored the king of heaven, and his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. So we see a man victimized by pride, but we see a man overcoming it. And that's what we want to talk about the rest of the way. Maybe even in this time we share it with you in these two lessons, and this being the third, maybe you have seen some areas of pride. I've looked over my life and I've seen some areas that I was in pride, but how do I overcome it? That's what we want to talk about the rest of the way. And I want you to send your questions and your comments because this is powerful. And I believe God wants to raise you up. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I believe it's going to be expansive. I believe God's going to do some amazing things in your life. But you don't want to get over into pride because you'll lose it all. You end up falling. And that's why God has instructed me to teach you because of what he wants to bring to pass in your life. Now, listen at this. How do we overcome pride? And you know, I like seven. I like this thing about seven. Seven is the number of completion. So I'm going to give you seven keys to overcoming pride. Number one, pray. Make a commitment to prayer. You know, during the pandemic, and we're still trying to get out of this pandemic, I said, because everything was shut down, everything was slowed down. I wanted to utilize the time. I didn't want to waste the time. I said that I wanted to deepen my prayer life. I wanted to commit more to prayer. So often we spend so much time doing. I said this in a service this past Sunday, that when you're doing squeezes out you're praying, you're missing God. When your doing squeezes out your praying, you are missing God. Pride blinds us to our motives. Pride blinds us to our actions. So prayer is so very important. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Ask God to search your heart. Ask God to reveal to you where you've allowed pride to enter or if you've allowed pride to enter into your life. In other words, we can't see ourselves right now. I can't see my ears right now. I can't see my nose right now. I can't see my eyes, but you can see my eyes, you can see my nose, you can see my ears. And so pride has a way of blinding us. We can't really see ourselves. And that's why prayer is so very important. And in your prayer time, you want to ask God to reveal any pride in your life. Reveal where you've entered into pride. And if you don't even think you have any pride, I want you to say, God, if there's any pride in my heart, in my life, in my motives, I want you to expose it. Expose it. And let me tell you something. God is so wonderful. He's so gentle. He's not going to embarrass you. He'll show you, and it'll be just between you and him. He'll show you areas of pride in your life. 
And, and that's a beautiful thing. When God showed me pride in my life, it was a beautiful thing. It didn't feel good at the time, but it was a beautiful thing because he didn't tell everybody he was dealing with me. And prayer is so very important. Now, when he reveals or if he reveals pride in your heart, we're talking about prayer, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Don't make any excuses. Say, God, I see it. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because he's going to be right. If he show you something, I don't care what you think about it. That's the truth because he's truth. Acknowledge it. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, you know, this is what. No, no. If he reveals to you pride, acknowledge it. And then ask God for the grace to resist it. Ask God for the grace to resist it, to overcome it, to change. Ask God for the grace. God, give me grace to resist this pride. Give me grace to overcome it. Give me grace to change my behavior, to change my motive. I want you to change. Help me to change. Prayer is so very important. It's something about praying and spending time in prayer God will show you uh, one of the weaknesses that we have in the church is that many Christians don't prioritize prayer. You know, they're doing a lot of things, but they don't prioritize prayer. And that's why people can live and sleep and go through all kinds of things and not even know that they're full of pride. Number two, how do I overcome, how do I overcome pride? Consider Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the change, the shame, and is set on the right hand of the Father. And then it says, Consider him. Consider Jesus. What do you mean by consider Jesus? Go through the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at his life. Look at how he dealt with certain things. And I'm going to give you some, some instances of Jesus operating in humility. Number one, he asked to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now that is powerful because Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one Israel been praying for. The very son of God comes on the scene and he looks at John baptizing people. And when it comes to order, spiritual order, the Messiah is on top. John the Baptist is the forerunner. So he's the subordinate. But notice, Jesus went to John to be baptized by him. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Messiah. He goes to John and he said, John, I want you to baptize me. And John says, no, I'm not going to baptize you. In fact, you need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's the right thing. Suffer it to be so, allow it to be so. It's the right thing because the Father has positioned you to baptize. He said, my Father gave you the authority to baptize. And notice Jesus came right under that authority, even though from a spiritual standpoint, he was above, but he submitted to John to baptize him. Consider Jesus. Think about it. Is it hard for you to submit to others who are your subordinates? If it's hard for you to submit, you walk in church and the ushers are trying to seat you and, and, and you fussing and arguing with the ushers because you are a leader in the church and they can't tell you what to do. No, see, there's a form of pride. Consider Jesus. He washed the feet of the disciples. Wow, that's humility. He washed the feet. Uh, not clean feet, nasty, stinking feet. Feet were, that need to be, uh, uh, they needed to be washed. You know, dirty feet. 
uh, grind on the feet. He got down, girded himself with a towel, and he cleaned the feet of his disciples. Consider Jesus. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. The holy man Jesus, he ate with tax collectors. He ate with prostitutes. Think about it. He was Jesus, no sin in him, but yet he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. Consider him. He called little children to come to him. He said, come to me. And when the disciples said, no, you get away, get away. He said, no, let them come. Notice, consider Jesus. Instead of calling for angelic help, now think about it. He's, he, he, had, he was uh, being arrested. He could call 12 legions of angels. But instead of calling for help when he had it, he denied himself and submitted to the Father's will. Consider Jesus. He chose not to defend himself even when men were lying on him. In that trial, they were throwing all kinds of lies at him. And the Bible says he didn't say anything. Consider Jesus. He came and chose the Lord of Lords. The, uh, the God man chose to come into this earth as a man and served as a servant. Consider Jesus. Why not, why not consider him? Why not follow him? How do we overcome pride? We commit to praying on a consistent basis because you can't get in the presence of God and have all that pride in you. When I see a lot of pride in individuals, I know they're not spending much time in prayer. Consider Jesus, number two. Now, I see a comment that has come in. That's great. Keep bringing your comments. Give me your questions. Number three, how do I overcome pride? You overcome pride by embracing and submitting and honoring the giftings of others. Now, I'll say that again. You overcome pride by embracing and submitting and honoring the giftings of others in the body of Christ. Now listen at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 21. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 21. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. The eye, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You see, in the scriptures, the, God describes the church, the body of Christ, and references it through the analogy of the human body. And there are different parts of our body. Some parts are visible. Some parts like the heart and the lungs and the kidneys are not visible. And then some parts are smaller like the fingers and the toes. And some parts are, are larger like the arm and, and like the head. But there's a, an interdependency, the eye, is dependent on the feet and the head is dependent on the hands and the hands are dependent on the fingers. There is a submission. There is a honoring the giftings of other parts. So I have to submit to my fingers because they're going to grab. I have to sit submit to my neck because it's going to hold my head up. I have to honor my eyes because they're going to provide vision. My feet and toes are going to provide mobility. So each part of my body members have been equipped to contribute 
to the growth and the success of the body. So in the body of Christ, God has certain individuals that are anointed and gifted to do certain things. And we shouldn't be competing with them. Pastors shouldn't be competing with this pastor because this pastor is doing this because these are members that we are part of one body and members shouldn't be competing with each other. And when you see someone in the church that's gifted, and I always use singing because we can see that they're gifted to sing. Don't get jealous. I want to sing. No, you have a part. You're gifted. Don't try to be what everybody else is doing. So humility and overcoming pride is when I, I embrace and I submit and I honor giftings, others' giftings in the, in the body. And it is a beautiful thing when you do that. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 and 6 said not to think of himself more highly than he ought, to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse 6 says, in his grace, God has given us different giftings for doing certain things well. So, you know, I'm a pastor, so I can see other things other pastors are doing. You have one pastor may have a great school. You had another pastor may have a, a great back-to-school rally. You have other pastors who may have a good, great worship or great music or great evangelistic things or great sale groups and, and different pastors will operate differently. So we shouldn't be comparing and competing and jealous. No, we should embrace and submit to other and honor others' giftings. And even members, you are a believer. You may not be over anything, but you should learn to embrace the giftings of others, submit and honor the giftings of other people. That's how you overcome pride. Number four, how do we uh, overcome pride? If you have any questions, you can disagree, you can challenge, you can say whatever you want to say. And at the end of this lesson, I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to share your comments so you can send them in now. Number four, how do I overcome pride? You overcome pride by being open-minded. Being open-minded. How do I overcome pride? By being open-minded. Got another uh, comment that came in. Great. Appreciate your comments. Appreciate your questions. You can send them in now. Be open-minded. Pride says my way or the highway. You're going to do it my way or you're going to highway. Think about how parents have said that my way or the highway. You're just going to do it my way or get out of here my way or get out of here. That doesn't sound like humility. That sounds like pride. My way or the highway. My way or the highway. Whenever people use that phrase, usually, usually, more often than not, there's some pride somewhere. My way or the highway. My way or the highway. Now listen at this. Remember this. There will usually be different ways to approach a situation, solve a problem, or reach a goal. Now remember this. Usually in any situation, any setting, there will be different ways to approach the situation. There will be different ways to solve a problem. There will be different ways to reach a goal. So my way or the highway is more often pride than it is humility. When things have to always be done your way, your pride will create resentment in others. 
Now listen at that again. When things have to always be your way, it's just always be your way. Whether you are a husband or parents, whether you are a boss at work or, or whether you are a coach or whether you're this or you're that, if everything has to be your way, especially if you're on a team, especially if you're on any kind of team, if everything has to be your way, then your pride will create resentment in others. And they may never tell you, they may never come up to you and tell you, but you cannot especially function on a team when everything has to go your way. Some people, now I'm still talking about being open-minded. Some people have something to say about everything. Are you that kind of person? Are you that, do you have an opinion about everything? You just have to say, you just got to get your point off. You just got to get your, you just got to get your comment in. Some people have something to say about everything. And if you have something to say about everything, yeah, you got some pride issues there. You may not know it, but you got some pride issues. Number five, got seven keys. How do I overcome pride? I see I got a question there. I got a question. Thank you. You've been doing good on your comments. You've been doing good on your questions, but I got another question. I got a question. The first question, got a couple of comments, got a question. Send in your questions, send in your comments. Number five, now, this, this is going to be big for all of us. I'm already going to put myself in this number five. I, I, I know. I know I'm going to hit you with number five. I know, listen, you might as well go and repent right now. You might as well go and repent right now. Even before I tell you what number five is, you might as well go. Come on. Just one more second. I repent. I know you're going to. I know you're going to have to repent after this. I know you're going to have to repent after this. Number five. Focus on listening and not talking. Focus on listening and not talking. I told you I was going to get you then. I told you, I told you, I told you I was going to get you. Focus on listening and not talking. Now, listen. James 1.19, the Amplified Bible. It's the Amplified Amplified Bible. Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful, thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker that a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger, patient, reflective, forgiving. I'm going to give you that again. That's James chapter 1, verse 19 in the Amplified Bible. Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful, thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger, patient, reflective, forgiving. Now, Shay Drake, S-H-E-A, Shia, maybe Shia or, or Shay, pardon me if I pronounce it wrong, Shia Drake, in an article that I uh, was reading, said this, listening is the antithesis, antithesis, that's the opposite, to pride. Because when you are giving someone the opportunity to express themselves or their ideas, you're putting your pride aside. Listening is the antithesis to pride. Because when you're giving someone the opportunity to express or express themselves or their ideas, you're putting your pride aside. Are you listening? Are you listening? Or are you just waiting for the person to be quiet so you can talk? Are you really listening? 
Have you laid your opinion aside and listened? Now, not being a good listener or practicing listening is usually symptomatic of the presence of pride. Not being a good listener or practicing listening is usually symptomatic of the presence of pride. Now I'm going to say something and you can, you can write in, I got another question. That's good. And you can just say, I just totally agree with what you're getting ready to say. I just totally agree with that point. It's all right. It's not personal. We're just learning together. It's not personal. I don't take it. I don't take it as a, a, a slap in my face. You can disagree with anything I say, and that's why I got my iPad there so we can talk about it and discuss it. Now, listen at this. Most leaders are not good listeners. James 1.19 is one of the most disobeyed scriptures in the Bible. It's one of the most disobeyed scriptures in the Bible be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. It's one of the most disobeyed scriptures in the Bible. Most leaders, and I'm a leader, most leaders are not good listeners. That's true in the home, that's true in the home. Most husbands, the domestic head of the house, are not good listeners. Most parents are not good listeners. I'm a parent. My children are adults, but most parents, their primary thought, even if they're, even if they don't verbalize this. They think, and I'm a parent now, we think, to, as in relationship to our children, listen, I've been living longer than you. I know more than you. I have more experience than you. I've been through more than what you've been through. So technically, there's nothing you can tell me. Now, that's the unconscious thought process of the average parent. And the challenge, uh, the, the problem with that way of thinking is that you can train your children to talk to somebody else. And I think many parents are uh, training their children, not intentionally, not consciously, but they're training their children to talk to someone else. Because if I'm going to deal with you out of my worldview, and I'm 40 years old, 50 years old, 30 years old, 60 years old, and I'm going to deal with you out of my worldview, and you got a teenager or a child that's operating out of total worldview, then it behooves us to listen because even though we've been through childhood, teenage, young adult age, we hadn't faced the world that they're facing. We, we didn't go through the world that they're dealing with because the world has changed. Times have changed. So our children and our teenagers can give us valuable information on what's happening in their world, but also what's happening on the inside of them. And the scripture says this, no man knows what's in another man, but the spirit of that man. You don't know what's going on in your child's mind and thoughts. That's why you have to encourage them to talk and you have to be quiet and listen. And you can't approach them with that mindset. But that's true on jobs for adults. 
You may be the boss, you may be the leader, you may be the pastor, you may be the bishop, you may be whoever, the apostle, whoever. But people have a viewpoint and they need to be able to express their viewpoint. But if you start out the gate with, I know what I want, I know which way to go, I know I've been through this, I've done this, and you approach even a subordinate at work like that, they are going to resent you. They may never tell you because you're their boss, but they are going to resent you because that's not good leadership. Great leaders listen. And they listen more than they talk. Number six, we're just looking at some things. And I got another question. That's good. Send me your questions. Send me your comments. Here's the sixth key to overcoming. And I want to make sure that I don't talk so long that I don't get to your questions. Follow love. That's how you overcome pride. Follow love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5 in the NIV Say love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, love is not proud, so follow love. It does not dishonor others, it does not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Follow love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1a, and the NIV says follow the way of love. You can't follow love and operate in pride at the same time. Now, number seven, and I'm going I'm to get through that because I want to make sure that I have time to answer your questions. I got three questions so far. I got two comments. I want you to send your questions in. And if you can do it now, it'll help me because sometimes at the end, I get a question at the close of it, and I don't have an opportunity to give it to you. But I'm closing this lesson out today. So if you have, if anything's stirring up in your mind right now, I want you to send it. Now, number seven, resist the temptation of pride. Resist the temptation of pride. All of us will be tempted with it. Pastor Mike included. All of us will be tempted with pride. We, we will never get to the point where we won't be tempted with pride because pride is one of Satan's primary weapons to cause the believer to fall, the minister to fall, the leader to fall. It's his number one and his number one weapon. It's what he knows best because he's a creature of pride, of pride and he failed because of pride. So he know the game of pride. So this is something we're going to be facing all throughout our life. But we can resist the temptation. The Bible says in James 4, 6 through 7, the King James Version says, but God gives grace, more grace. He, the scripture says that he resists the pride, but he gives grace to the humble. Now the New Living Translation says, God gives grace generously. As the scripture said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, now, notice it says that God gives grace. He gives more grace. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee for you. When James says resist the devil, he is talking about resisting pride. So if you read James 4, 6 through 7 in its context, he's talking about resisting the devil. When you're resisting uh, the devil, you're resisting, and you're t he's talking about pride. Now, let me give you some examples that things that the temptations you need to resist. Number one, you need to resist the temptation to boast and name drop. Whenever you're going to throw somebody's name out, you know, to make yourself feel important. You know, I, you know, Pastor Mike this or so-and-so this or your name dropping. I want you to 
and then don't spend all your time talking about how wonderful you are and all the things you've accomplished. Don't let, let some other folks say some good things about you. Let, let, let another man praise you, not just your mouth all the time. Talking about, I accomplished this, I did this, I did this, you know, I'm the greatest. Let's resist that. Let's resist that. Let's resist the name dropping. Resist the temptation to hold a grudge. If you if somebody hurts you, disappointed you, let you down, and and you got that thing, I'm never gonna let them go. I'm never gonna resist that temptation to hold a grudge. Number three, resist the temptation to judge people's spirituality. Spirituality. I I give you a classic example. There's so much debate about these mask thing and wearing masks, and somebody think we should wear a mask, and others think we shouldn't wear a mask. Now, where, where Christians get in trouble is when they start attaching somebody's spirituality to the mask or not wearing the mask. If you had more faith, you wouldn't, your faith ain't as, as strong. If you're in fear, listen, here's what I want you to do. Okay, you may know more scriptures than somebody, you may have been saved longer than somebody. Resist the temptation to judge other people's spirituality. Just the other day, I had to go to my daughter and I had to ask her to forgive me. Just the other day, because she did something and I judged her along a spiritual line. And the Spirit of God quickened that thing to me. He let me know you were judging her spirituality because you think you, you, you're more spiritual. And, 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 and don't fall into that trap. So I went to my daughter and I said, she didn't know what I was talking about. She said, well, what, what, what? she didn't know. But the Spirit of God let me know the reason you came at her the way you came at her is because you think you're more spiritual than she is. And so I went to her and I asked her to forgive me. Resist the temptation to judge people's spirituality. Don't be putting folk down because you know more scriptures. You've been saved as long as you know. Get out of that. Stop doing that. That's pride. That is pride. Now, that slapped somebody right in the face. Resist the temptation to look down on people. Don't look down on over people, black people, white people, Mexicans, whoever. Resist the temptation to look down. Homeless people, uh, uh, prostitutes, whoever, uh, gay people, whoever. Resist the temptation to look down on people. Resist the temptation to think you can't learn from others. Whether they be subordinates or apprentices or children, resist the temptation to think you can't learn from other people. Resist the temptation to criticize and major on people's flaws. And that's a, a parent, parental flaw. We major on their mistakes, major on their, their they, we major on the C. They got four A's and one C, and we major on their flaws. We major on their weaknesses. Resist that temptation. Resist the temptation to save face for fear of embarrassment or shame. I gave illustration where I'd done something publicly. It was wrong. I had to call the person up and ask them to forgive me and ask the church to forgive me. And I'm telling you that that sense of saving face, I'm going to be embarrassed. You got I'm going to be ashamed. It's the right thing to do, but I'll be embarrassed. I'll be ashamed. Resist that temptation to save face. If you miss it, acknowledge you miss it. Even if you may feel bad, acknowledge that you missed it. Uh, resist the temptation to focus on compliments and be fishing for compliments. You just want somebody to praise. You want somebody, you're fishing for compliments. Resist the temptation to compare yourself or compare others. The moment you said this person is better or this preacher is better or this church does this compared to this church, you're already in sin because the Bible says to compare yourselves among yourselves is not wise. Resist the temptation to feel self-pity when you're not praised. Resist the temptation to think you're indispensable. Resist the temptation to seek your own glory. Resist the temptation to take credit for others' contribution or achievement. Now, that's a mouthful. 
When the Holy Spirit brings to your awareness an area of pride in your life, resist the pride. Say, Holy Spirit, I see it. Holy Spirit, I agree with you. Holy Spirit, now give me more grace to resist it, overcome it, and change. Praise the Lord. I want to look at some of these questions and some of these comments the rest of the way. I thank you for allowing me to share with you. Uh, first comment, just had a situation where pride got the best of me. I had to repent and humble myself and ask for forgiveness. I felt better. Thank you for this lesson, Pastor. Now, that comment is coming from a person that God values. It's coming from a person that God will honor. Just had a situation where pride got the best of me. Now, that is... That is, I got six. That is a situation. That is a a comment from a person that has the right mindset. Just had a situation where pride got the best of me. That that's a good mindset. I had to repent and humble myself and ask for forgiveness. That's God. That's all He asks us to do. He don't ask us to get on the ground and grovel. He asks us to recognize it and humble ourselves and repent. I felt better. You always feel better because you know what? You got in alignment with God. Thank you for the lesson. Thank you for the comment. Another comment. Uh, prayer reveals our weaknesses. God does it gently to get us where we need to be. He has helped me a lot to humble myself and get pride out of my life. I've had it different areas and wasn't aware of it. Me too. Me too. I've had it in areas and I was not aware of it because pride blinds us. But the beautiful thing about prayer is that in your prayer time, you want to always, like this person, you want to always be open. Is there any area of pride where I've allowed to come in, Holy Spirit? Is there something in my, in my life, and I'm not talking about our righteousness because we know we're righteous, but you need to get in God's face because there's some things you may not see. I'm not talking about right standing. I'm talking about exposing yourself to God, especially in your relationships because sometimes we say things and do things and not do things and we're unaware that we're being motivated by pride. Now, I got one, two, three, four, five. I got five questions had two comments. I got five questions. First question, do we stay away from people who always want things their way? Sometimes you have to, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can be on teams where people always want their way. You can't always quit your job because you hit a hard place or proud for person. Sometimes you have to pray through some things, confess through some things, overcome some things, uh, some things you have to deal with it. Um, it, it when, when you get to the point where you feel the need to stay away, it should be something you've prayed about and it should be something the Spirit of God is leading you to do. It shouldn't be something you're just getting emotional about, and I'm just going to stay away from you because God wants us to work through some things. He wants us to overcome some things. He wants us to be an example, in some cases in hard places. So when we start uh, moving away, we should make sure that it's the Spirit of God leading us to move away. Uh, my next question um, when leadership do things their way without consulting any members or denounce other works of the members, is this a form of pride? Yes. When a leadership do things their way without consulting any members, whenever we're trying to get something across, uh, Key members, now now there's some things you, you can't tell everybody everything you're trying to do at the beginning. There are some key people, especially people that you're working with and you intend to, to partner with and you need their 
their partnership, then I think when you are uh, doing things without consulting members that are part of what you're trying to do, I think that's pride. Um, when leaders denounce others' works, the works of members, I think that's a form of pride. I answer these questions. There's always two sides to every story. I learned that, but I'm answering it based on what's being asked of me. Uh, sometimes at work with our customers, I have to cut them off knowing what they're going to say only because we are busy. But I do it in an humble way. Is this still pride? Now, that's a good question, and I, I want to read that again. Sometimes at work with customers... I have to cut them off knowing what they're going to say only because we're busy. Now, sometimes, but I do it in an humble way, is this still pride? Well, I don't I don't know if the two mix, and maybe maybe there's more information to it. I don't know if the two mix. Okay. Sometimes at work with customers, okay. Let's talk about that. Number one, customers are the reason you have work. Without them, you have no work. And that's true, period. If it's members of a church, if it's business people coming in your business, the reason you're in business is because of them. Okay? So when you say, I have to cut them off knowing what they're going to say, that sounds like pride to me because you should hear people out. Now, when you're busy, what are you busy doing? Are you busy with other customers? Now, if you're busy with other customers, I think you have to say to the customer that's trying to get your attention, I'll be with you as soon as I finish this customer, as soon as I deal with this customer. But when you say, I know what they're going to say, that sounds like pride to me, you know, because even though you're busy, if you're really busy, most people can see that you're busy. And I've had people to say, I'll be with you in a moment. I'll get with you as soon as I can. I am with this customer. That's not being proud to let people know that you're handling a customer and you will get with them. But when you, the way you worded it is I'll cut them off because I know what they're going to say. I think that sounds bad to me. It sounds like that you are not handling it properly because that that's it's like a it's like a contradiction i'm cutting them off because i'm busy i know what they're going to say i say it in an armor way maybe it's just the way you phrase it but the way you phrased it it sounds like pride because you know what they're going to ask you, so you cut them off because you're busy. That's, it, it sounds like pride to me. It takes a lot of faith to follow love when the other person does not listen or let you talk. What do you, what do, you do? Well, you, you, you know, at some point you may have to, if the person is not going to listen to you and you're in a conversation the conversation should be mutual. Here again, I don't have all the context of what's going on, but if you're in a conversation, then at some point you may have to say to the person, uh, I want to answer you or I got a side, but you're not allowing me to talk. Something That's not being proud. You, 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 Sometimes you have to break in and say, I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk and I'm going to be quiet. And then I want you to give me an opportunity to talk and you be quiet. I think that's proper. I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk and I'm going to listen. I'm not going to interrupt you. And I want you to give me a few minutes to talk and don't you interrupt me. Now, if a person keeps interrupting you then, then they're being disrespectful. They're just being disrespectful. What do you say to someone when they have join a church and they feel like they have been looked over by not receiving a call from the leader. Here again, it's hard for me to answer that question. Um, 
because I don't know the context of the question. I think if you're joining a church, I think it is the responsibility of the church to contact you. When you said the leader, I don't know whether that's the pastor leader. I don't know whether that's whoever. Uh, if I join the church and I go through the process, I would expect that someone from the church would give me a call or a, a text or a letter or something, but I wouldn't necessarily have to talk to the pastor unless it's a small church, you know what I mean? It's a small church, you're a small family church, then you, you know, you want the pastor. But when you said the leader, um, um, what do you say? What I say is that if you join a church, there should be some process for you to join the church. And I say that you, you uh, should receive some kind of feedback, some notice, some whatever from the church. And if you don't receive that, then at that point, I would try to talk to somebody above whoever's in this process uh, somehow contact the office, somehow talk to somebody, because there should be somebody you can talk to and let them know there was a gap in the process. And I think that's helpful. That's my best shot at it. And I pray you got something out of these uh, three lessons. You know, we're going to do something else, but we're dealing with the character issue right now. Thank you so very much for uh Tuning in, share the lesson with somebody. I believe it'll be a blessing for them as well. I love you. See you next time.